Cherry, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. The founder of Buzz Along Coffee and um, the YouTube channel Buzz Along. Uh, coffee and cycling, what a classic pairing. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you for having me here. I'm great. Yeah, indeed, the coffee and cycling goes hand in hand. So how did you get the idea or the kind of the motivation to start a coffee company? Well, I'm from the coffee region in Colombia, Armenia, Quindío, so it's kind of part of my heritage. And uh, coffee and cycling goes together hand in hand. Every time I go for a bike ride, I always dream about my coffee break. So I decided uh, why not bring the coffee to from my region here to call, to Europe. I I like it. Nothing. I feel like that syncs up perfectly. Um, and then I guess I'd I'd like to hear a little bit more about your cycling background from watching your YouTube videos. Um, you know, it's even when you started posting, it seemed like you were a pretty accomplished cyclist already. Um, very comfortable with long distance, 200 kilometer, 100, 120 mile bike rides. But how did you get, uh, how did you get started cycling and, and, um, kind of, yeah, what's the, what's the motivation to do these longer events? Well, I started cycling over, uh, two years and a half ago, actually, uh, it was the first time after a while that I took a bike in London for commuting. And then I enjoyed it so much, the freedom of going from one place to another, getting lost and discovering new places is amazing. So I find motivation in uh, bikepacking for these long distances. My first trip uh, was from Amsterdam to Paris to see the Tour of France. And I really enjoyed it. It felt like an accomplishment when I got there. So since then, I started doing more and more uh, rides and longer and longer. And you just build up the distance on this basis. It's interesting to hear kind of that motivation. And I've seen a lot of your videos seem to be traveling, uh, cycling relatively long distances to see professional cyclists. Um, but you seem to personally prefer maybe more of the experience style trips, more of the adventure style trips. Um, would you classify yourself as a, as a racer or as somebody who just kind of enjoys these bigger adventures? For me, I enjoy these bigger adventures and racing is also like an adventure with a competitive element. So. For example, at my longest race, Transiberica, it felt like a mix of a race sometimes and sometimes like a bikepacking trip because you're just in new environments, exploring new places, traveling around the country. So it's like a mix. Ultra cycling is for me like a mix of racing and bikepacking. So sometimes you want to go faster and be a bit more competitive and sometimes you just want to enjoy the landscape. Okay, so let's let's jump into the Transiberica because that was a great video and a great story. Um, what is it, and you know what what made it motivated you to do something that that was that long? Well, to be honest, I didn't plan that much, so I just signed up for the event and I said, okay, let's have an adventure. It was my first self-routed event, and uh, yeah, it was definitely an adventure. I ended up climbing over the Pyrenees <laughs> on a hiker bike trail, uh, an experience I will never forget, but uh, it was amazing. I will totally do it again. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, 
put it yourself uh, signing up and uh, just taking on the challenge. And so, um, okay, so this this event is a unsupported or self-supported, I would say, bikepacking race um, in, in the neighborhood of, and correct me if I'm wrong here in the kilometers, um, in the ballpark of 3,600 kilometers, but I think that varies, right, depending upon which route you choose because you you just have to get through um i think it's typically 10 checkpoints um in basically any route uh, as long as you get to those checkpoints yes that's correct so there's different checkpoints and you have to create your own route sometimes there's mandatory parkour so you have to do part of this route but mostly it's self-routed but uh, yeah, I didn't plan my route that much. So that's something I would advise to somebody who is planning to do a unsupported self-routed event, really plan your route because it will make a huge difference. But uh, that's a good thing with ultra cycling. The more events you do, the more experience you get and uh, it gets easier with every event. Well, I I like your attitude and just how comfortable you are with with uh, with going at with with kind of doing this. I guess I would imagine that if I was doing something that long, I would do a lot of prep beforehand just to make sure I had every every angle, every uh, every route kind of mapped out. I did notice watching your video and then watching um, um, kind of all the competitors compete that you were choosing. It seemed like often choosing a different route, maybe a bit more gravel heavy than most of the competitors. What was your thought process behind that? Well, to be honest, uh, it was like uh, just uh, because of the route planning, uh, I didn't realize that there was so much gravel. Luckily, I had a gravel bike with uh, road tires, still chunky tires. So I managed to ride this kind of terrain, but it it was uh, a real surprise. (laughs) Yeah, but... um, you explore really nice places and we managed to go to really cool places in France and in the Pyrenees. So yeah, it added to the experience and the challenge. Did you, did you have a, a favorite part or mo- maybe a more, more memorable part of the, of that race? Yes, it was the Consuegra windmills, the windmills of Don Quixote. I felt like I was Don Quixote with Sancho Panza, just, uh, you know, the battle against the giants. And it was super fun because um, I live in the Netherlands and here it's very windy. So you get used to using your aerobars and time trialing. So I was able to use my skill there of time trialing to really push it on that uh, segment. Ah, I see. Kind of real comfortable in the in the headwinds or the crosswinds, as, as it were. Indeed. I uh, so I'm I'm Southern California based, uh, LA, and right on the coast. And I find that it's actually a very similar riding to the Netherlands, where the crosswinds kind of come off the ocean, and so we are we are definitely used to to the wind as well. Um, yeah. Now to start out that video, and it, it, I like that you kind of flagged the windmills as very me- memorable. You chose you chose a quote from Don Quixote. Um, when when life itself seems lunatic, who knows where the madness lies? Great quote. Uh, it's that's it's a little bit ominous. Why did you choose that to start off your uh, Transiberica video? Well, a lot of people ask me if I'm crazy when I'm doing this kind of <laughs> events, but uh, you know, 
that poet reflects is like, uh, what's the definition of crazy? You know, taking on these challenges or uh, cycling, taking an adventure. I think uh, life is like this. You have to try new things. And even if it, if it seems crazy, sometimes it could be the greatest thing that ever happens to you. I like it. Um, and so, so now thinking through a race like this, I think a lot of people won't realize that it is a, a so-called one stage race, right? So once the, once the gun goes, the time never stops. Um, how did you think about when was the appropriate time to stop at night and get rest or, you know, kind of find, find a hotel or how, how did you plan around, um, when you would sleep and when you would get rest? Well, time management in this kind of events is key. So you have to minimize your stop, be really efficient when you resupply in supermarkets. I still rush every time I go on a bikepacking trip <laughs> into the supermarket, like I'm in an ultra race. So it's really important to practice these kind of things. And normally I, around 10 PM, 11, I was uh, looking for a hotel nearby. And my plan was to get around four hours of sleep and if necessary, push it a little bit at the end. So, so that, that is not a lot of sleep and it kind of, the sleep deprivation, I'm sure stacks up over the days. Um, it, I, I think your, your finish time was around 10 hours, uh, 10 days, sorry, 16 hours. Um, in that, in that ballpark, did you find that on the back half of the race, the sleep deprivation was was really getting to you or could you push through that i think in this one my objective was to manage it properly so i got sleep every night it was easier than my previous races in this case so because it was such a long race 10 days i decided to get more sleep and then if necessary again uh, push it or not sleep skip uh, some nights but that wasn't necessary I like it. And how much um, are you watching where the other competitors are and kind of gauging how hard you push based on that? Or how do you, how competitive is a, is a, an adventure like this? Well, my first two races, I didn't watch where my competitors were. So I was always really stressed thinking I was the last one on the race. And in Transiberica, I learned from that. So I was not watching uh, the competition. And then it's uh, much better. So like you can pace yourself better. You can manage your breaks based on that. So that's really helpful. Okay. Fair enough. And, and then was, did you have a, did you have a goal to try to win this or just try to place high up or how, how do you think about being competitive in the, in this environment? I like to have something to motivate myself. So I always, uh, try to go for the win, but of course, enjoy the adventure at the same time. For me, winning is not everything. For me, it's the overall adventure. But I feel like sometimes you have to have a goal, an objective to be able to push through the tiredness when you are not motivated, when you feel you're going to quit. So I think having a goal is really important. Um, no, I, I really like it. It's like very, a very holistic perspective from... From watching your video, I like that a lot of the shots really highlight um, like the beautiful landscape that you got got to go through. And um, I guess to me, how surprisingly rural um, the environment was around, which makes for, it seems like amazing riding, uh, 
But on the flip side, did you have how easy access to sort of food, bike repair, bike shops, um, as well as like hotels was everything? Did you feel like you were really out on your own or did you feel like resources were available when you needed them? I feel in Spain is great because there's a lot of restaurants, bars open until late there, even in the small villages. So resupplies was not issue. Only in the Pyrenees, I ran out of water there. Luckily, I had a filtration water bottle. That was a lifesaver. So the infrastructure in Spain is really good. So I totally recommend it. There's no issue with finding a place to sleep and great food. It's, it's interesting to hear that perspective. It seems like as far as ultra cycling events go, while this one might be um, extre extremely physically demanding, in terms of resource management, it's it seems like there's options available is the way I think. Now, um, let's talk about a little bit about the weather that you experienced on the course. It And, and frankly, in all of your videos, it seems like you're never cycling in in like picturesque weather. It's always too hot, too cold, rainy, um, overly humid. Yeah, what was the weather like on the on the course over those ten days? Well, Transiberica, there's a lot of changes in the weather conditions. Sometimes you can go for bo from boiling hot to like forty degrees to freezing up in the mountains, like minus two degrees. So it's really like uh, it can change very quickly in a day even. Uh, absolutely. Now, do you find that you're somebody who uh, like reacts well to different kinds of, of weather conditions or do you prefer a specific weather environment? Well, I don't like cold weather. <laughs> I prefer mild weather, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I'm easy. I can adapt to different conditions. It's just uh, staying positive and uh, thinking to yourself, okay, it cannot be cold forever or it cannot be that warm forever. So just try to keep a positive mindset every time there is a new challenge. I I definitely like could really empathize with you. I felt really bad and I don't know, there was a section section of the ride where it looked like you had just been rained on for hours and it was, um, and you found shelter almost in like a, like a, uh, I would call it like a barn, but there was a, there was a, there was like a football, soccer football arena in there. Um, it seemed like you were both cold and wet, which is a rough combination. Yes, indeed. That could be a tough combination. It was actually a storm. Some of the riders got into the storm. They kept on cycling and, uh, yeah, there was even hail there. So. So that is part of the strategy, right, of if you know that weather's coming in, to maybe hunker down and just find shelter for a few hours and let that pass? Yes, depends uh, what's your approach. Some people prefer to not sleep and keep on riding through these kind of conditions. And some others have the strategy of stopping, maybe getting some sleep, and then push it harder on the next uh, part of the route. Was there, was there any point, like I just, as you, as you kind of describe this, it seems like it's just such a tough event. Um, was there any point where you felt like abandoning? 
No, I, I never think about abandoning <laughs> an event. I always think to myself, if I can keep on cycling, I will finish it no matter what. So that keeps you going through moments that you feel like, oh my God, I'm going to fall off the bike because I haven't slept for days. I think it's just having this, uh, this in your mind, like, uh, okay, I can still go on a bike. I will keep on riding. Wow. Uh, you are, you are very determined. I feel like, I feel like I would, uh, that's just like so long and hard. It would, it would cross my mind many, many times to just kind of walk off the course. Uh, I guess I don't know where you would always go. So maybe you're kind of committed. Um, so now let's talk a little bit about the finish. Um, do you feel an overwhelming sense of accomplishment when you finish or are you just too exhausted to to enjoy it what's that like to be honest i feel nostalgic every time uh, you are on a race you are suffering sometimes during the race but at the end of the race you are sad that it's finishing it's like oh my god now i have to go back to normal life <laughs> And well, it's interesting that you say that um, because you're you're very much now trying to make ultra cycling um, a bigger part of your life. Correct? Do you have um, do you have upcoming events that that you're looking forward to or or ambitious goals kind of down the line? Yes, for me, ultra cycling is uh, not a sport; it's part of my life. So now I'm dedicating more time to it. I'm planning to do the transcontinental race this year and also race around Denmark and some of road events like Bohemian Border Bash. Wow. Okay. Lots, lots upcoming. And I know you're, um, have kind of maybe switched priorities so that you can, you can dedicate, um, more time to that. So that's really exciting. Now, when going back to the finish, I'm always, um, I'm always shocked and almost smile. A lot of these finishes, it seems like you might cross the line and there's no one there or only a few people who are cheering you. Um, do you feel like, do you feel like ultra, like, are you motivated by a lot of people at the finish line or I guess presumably not given that, given that um, often you're, you're kind of, you, you cross this huge event, you're finished this huge event, but then cross the finish line and almost feel like maybe nobody knows about it. Yes, indeed, it's very different from other traditional events because sometimes you finish the event at two in the morning, <laughs> so nobody is there, but still, you know, it feels so nice when you know, okay, I finally arrived to the destination and uh, this sense of accomplishment. It's and so you honestly too tired. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. It sort of uh, very much like underlines the personal motivation, I guess, that um, that you must have and that all the riders must have to complete a, an event like this. Indeed. Yes, it's about uh, finishing and, okay, you you tell to yourself, I managed to do it. I love it. Um, I love it. So let's jump to your most recent videos, um, the, the Columbia trip. Um, what was the what was the motivation to um, to do a, a bikepacking adventure in Colombia? Well, I feel Colombia is such a beautiful country, but a lot of people don't know about it. So I wanted to show from a local perspective how beautiful it is and that people will be encouraged to visit it.
It's such a fantastic region where I come from, the coffee region, and it has so much to offer. I was uh, definitely blown away by the amazing landscapes there. And the the route of your trip, were you kind of roughly riding from farm to farm, um, kind of sampling the, the the local flavor as well as trying to trying to hit up specific um, cycling routes? Yes, indeed. So the plan was to go from one coffee farm to another coffee farm and also being able to explore the landscape around it. It really adds to the experience to see where the coffee comes from and also wanted to hit some of the local climbs like La Linea. So like kind of the bucket list travel segment. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to take the segment. There was a pro cyclist who got it, but uh, I still enjoy it. Okay, and maybe maybe you could help me clear, clarify this one um, because La, 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 La Linea is one of the top climbs in Colombia and one of the most um, revered climbs globally. But I, I thought it was a road climb, but I think you showed a bit more of the gravel or off-road nature when you, when you, uh, when you shared the footage. Yes, indeed, there's two climbs. There is La Linea, the traditional one, but uh, now there is a lot of trucks uh, crossing that road. So now it's very popular, the La Linea off-road. So I decided to do this one and it's super beautiful. It's around 20, 25K up the hill and it's uh, quite steep. So you feel really good when you get to the top. I feel like that's an adventure uh, in itself. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> okay, it's so it's so you were you were trying to take the Strava time. Well, uh, <laughs> I I thought uh, maybe I give it a try, but then I saw the the time of for the segment, and I was like, ah, no, let's just enjoy it. Right, right. I feel like perhaps um, perhaps a few years ago it, it would be a bit more obscure, but I feel like now. Um, I think I think pro cyclists and, and Colombia has quite a few Tour de France level uh, cyclists as well. So I imagine the competition is pretty is pretty ferocious there. Indeed, the Colombian escarabajos they go pretty <laughs> far up the hills. So this is something uh, that we were talking about a little bit beforehand, but I wanted to bring up the topic of of cycling infrastructure. Um, and and it's it's kind of interesting getting your take on it now have having right cycled through both um Colombia and um I know you live in the live in the Netherlands um and so this was something that was perhaps is on par with my experience here in the US um where I am in southern california a lot of a lot of attention is paid to adding bike lanes, um, adding what I would call like extensive cycling furniture, which is great to highlight, uh, to make sure to encourage cycling and to make, make it safe. Um, but in, in Latin and, um, in, sorry, in central and Southern America, it seems like that infrastructure, that push has not caught up yet, but, um, from traveling through Costa Rica and watching your video in Colombia, it seemed like the much very similar that the biking culture is so strong there that I would almost call that a cycling paradise. Um, do you, I, I guess, yeah. What are your thoughts on cycling infrastructure and how to approach that? 
I was positively surprised when I arrived to Colombia, especially in Bogota. Now there's a lot of cycling infrastructure okay. on the weekend. The road was full of cyclists, like families, uh, people with friends. It was like, uh, wow, very impressive. And also in my hometown in, in Armenia, they started to add cycle lanes and uh, bring in more awareness uh, about the cyclists on the road. But I focus my trip mostly off-road because uh, the landscapes are amazing when you take the rural paths and it allows you to get deeper into the mountains to more remote areas where the only thing you can hear is birds. Right, and maybe that's one of the benefits of it is that those roads, I imagine, are wide enough for cars to fit through, but the but the car traffic must be so low that um, it makes for a very pleasant ride, I guess. Yeah, exactly. There is a lot of countryside roads and they are only used by motorbikes or jeeps. So there's no traffic really. And you have it all for yourself and it's really nice to ride on. It's not uh, very technical. So it's good if you're starting into gravel or mountain biking. But I really enjoy because it was my first time on a mountain bike. Now, um, <laughs> now on this trip, were you visiting the farms as potential suppliers or do you already have that um, uh, worked out with your with your own coffee business? So I wanted to visit the farms first to know how everything works there, to see how they uh, how the coffee plantations are, the processes, and to ensure that it fits with the culture that I want to have uh, the concept of my coffee brand. So it was super fun to cycle to the farm, see all the surroundings. And then when you taste the coffee, it's like, oh, it smells like, uh, you know, the place I just cycled through. So it added so much to the experience, also meeting the farmers and um, being able to taste the coffee directly there. I love it. Um, and I, I always find that on coffee farms coffee ta it tastes so fresh it's just incredible um i guess d direct farm to table uh, in the literal sense i get from that end now now in terms of your um coffee business is it is your goal to um it seems like maybe to 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 bring um columbia coffee to europe or what what is kind of the approach that you have here Yes, yeah, so I want to bring coffee from my region, Quindío, here to Europe. And uh, the focus is on sustainability and also uh, as is a minority-owned company to support uh, the local uh, people in my region. So that's the main objective of the brand, being able to give something back to the community there, also bringing good quality coffee that uh, people, especially cyclists, could enjoy here so they can feel like, uh, you know, when you watch the video, then you can taste the coffee. I love it. And that's absolutely, um, you know, coffee, coffee and cycling go, go hand in hand. I'm curious to hear a, a little bit more on the sustainability part. Um, is, is coffee, uh, traditionally a product that is, that is not that sustainably produced? Yes, indeed. So the processes sometimes in the farms, uh, it can be like um, 
the sustainability angle that it has like different uh, crops also to ensure there's no depletion in the soil, that the processes, they recycle the materials, there's no much waste, uh, pesticides, etc. So that's uh, one of our top priorities. So it was good to go to the farms to ensure, you know, one thing is when you get a presentation on so of some pictures, and another thing is when you go to the farm, you speak with the people, you test the coffee, you walk through the plantations. It's uh, just much better to understand how everything works there. Are is is most of the coffee in the in that region already grown with no pesticides, or did, was it difficult to find um, a, a, a supplier um, that that was not using chemicals? Well, I already had a chat uh, with a provider here who put me in contact with the farm. So they already did some screening beforehand. And then uh, we decided to visit the potential farms that uh, suited our standards. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very, very interesting. Very uh, topical topic. Um, it's 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 always interesting. Uh, I've... I've I write in my, as I was, I was saying, I was saying, we were talking a little bit before the podcast in my previous life, um, had ambitions to be a, a coffee importer and I did it for a few years, but it's a, a very, I found it to be a very challenging business. Um, and it's interesting to hear your process on the, the sustainability as well as to, um, I, I find it's always an interesting conversation talking to the farms about the, um, maybe the seasonal work. And so there's kind of this elaborate economic ecosystem that I find um, that that maybe Columbia goes through as well, where they need kind of um, workers to work for only a, a short period of the year, and so it's a it's a complex economic position that that um, everybody finds themselves in. Yes, indeed. So that's why we want to support farms that ensure, you know, like uh, good wages for the employees and that um, work, for example, we work with a women's cooperative farm. So that's really important for us because it goes into this uh, inclusivity aspect that we also want to implement in our cycling brand so that everybody feels welcome and they're given an opportunity to work and uh, enjoy what they love doing. I, I I love it. Do you do you find that um are there are there many um are are a lot of women running farms down in Colombia or is that still uh perhaps a, a more male dominated industry? I think there's a lot of progress to be done, but okay. uh, I think uh, there's some work being done, and that's uh, one of our goals. We want to contribute to this change. <laughs> right on. Perfect. Perfect. Now, um, sort of looking on YouTube and and watching your cycling uh, journey, um, it seemed like it, it seemed like before the um, Trans Transiberica, which is a just a kind of a monster race, right? Um, Three thousand plus or thirty five hundred plus kilometers, um, but you kind of started doing much shorter rides um i guess i would pronounce it br brevet but but is that but I'll, I'll let you fix fix my pronunciation and uh um explain just just what are those races 
Yes, indeed, a brevet is uh, not a race. There's no winner, so it's just um, a challenge, an event with uh, control points along the way. And you have a time limit and it's super fun because you get to ride with your friends if you want. Here, drafted is allowed, not like in the ultra races, or so you can go with your mates, enjoy the route, have some fun. So it's a really good way to push yourself uh, or to get into long distance cycling. Do you um, do you enjoy the the community aspect of of those sorts of adventures? For me, it's one of the top things that made me go into the sport. The ultra cycling community is so amazing. They are so welcoming. Everybody kind of knows each other. Also meeting the other riders, hearing their stories on the road is so much fun. There's so many crazy stories that you're like, oh my God, I cannot believe that happened. You know, you could be in the same race at the same place, nearly at the same time. And uh, the other person had a completely different experience. So that's really fun to share with the community. Also the community of dot watchers that uh, follow the race, they are amazing. Sometimes you can be in the middle of nowhere in Spain and you'll hear somebody calling your name <laughs> and it really gives you a boost of motivation. You know, people really follow the event and uh, it's a great community. I, I've heard a lot of stories about encouragement um... From, especially from the from the dot watching community, right? Especially to to your point, perhaps when 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 you're or somebody's at a, a low point, um, getting a getting um, a message through to them, or even like if they're there in person, words of encouragement seem to go a long way. Yes, indeed. Uh, sometimes uh, you just have people on the side of the road that uh, you don't expect or <laughs> you don't know, and uh, they scream your name, and uh, you kind of wake up. <laughs> <laughs> Again, so uh, that happened to me race around the Netherlands. I was falling asleep and all of a sudden I hear my name and I was like, oh, okay, I'm still cycling. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> that's I, I, that, that's fantastic. And I, it's, it's interesting because I feel like, too, it, you seem to, um, it seems to be a positive, a wholly positive experience. Um, do you ever find it unnerving that that somebody shouts out your name and you're like, "Where is this coming from?" Yeah, sometimes that happens because you are in another world. Sometimes, <laughs> so you don't know what's going on around you. And uh, in race around the Netherlands, I had a chair mixed neck, so I couldn't um, I couldn't turn around or look at the people. You know, I could only uh, hold my neck in one position. So that was pretty tough. I I felt like I was being rude towards people, not to look at them. But uh, yeah, sometimes these kind of things happen during races. Um, and over the course of all these adventures, do you find that you run up against um, mechanical issues or on the whole, has your bike setup been pretty dialed? Well, uh, dialing my setup is one of the things I spend the most time before the race. I'm kind of always looking for the latest improvements, the latest gadgets. So that's something that I really enjoy also about ultra cycling. You know, there's so many setups, there's so many ways to plan for an event. So it's really cool to be able always to improve something. Uh, I didn't have many mechanicals, only race around the Netherlands. I had a pierced wall that I couldn't repair. I have to wait and go to the bike shop, but I was very lucky in Transiberica and other events that I didn't have many mechanicals. 
Now, in an instant, in an instance like that, where a, a pierced sidewall is is effectively a new tire. Um, I don't know. There's the what's um, what's the old trick, the the dollar bill trick to try to to try to brace the side. It's where you. I should I should maybe explain this. It's where so the a pierced sidewall is if the side of the tire gets punctured, which is very very difficult, if not impossible, to patch, and so you're kind of out of options. Um, and then the old the old trick is to is to take uh take currency and to put it on the sidewall to hopefully get you through it. It sounds like in your case that wasn't an option. Yes, I think uh, it was my first race. All my mechanical skills were not there yet. I'm improving with every race. Yeah, I could have probably repaired it, but I decided to go to the bike shop instead. I think that's a much better scenario, and and I will say that that the dollar bill trick I feel like is is perhaps deep into the lexicon of of um, uh, bike knowledge. So so not necessarily available to the first time racer. Now. When you had to wait to go to the bike shop, is that a race where you then had to go back to where you got your flat tire to restart? Uh, well, I was lucky because I have a foam insert in my tire that allows me to, to keep on riding. So I just kept on riding until I got to my hotel, I slept like something like nine hours <laughs> until the bike shop opened and then uh, continue riding to the bike shop. So I didn't leave the course because I was lucky that I had this foam insert that allowed me to keep on riding. You just had to pump every 100 kilometers, but it gets you to your destination. So that was really a, a really cool gadget. You were kind of burying the lead there. Here I was, um, here I was trying to describe this, like th this old school fix, but, but you've got a solution already, already covered. <laughs> <laughs> I also I also like that it must have been maybe a blessing in disguise to be able the to to force you to sleep for nine hours. Um, I'm sure with some well needed rest. Yes, indeed, I felt like uh, flying the next day. <laughs> <laughs> now, going back to to these brevets, there is um, you mentioned that there is a, a more famous one that you were targeting um, in Paris that you were kind of building up to. What does it take to be able to to ride in that in that particular adventure? Yes, indeed, it, this is a Paris Brest Paris is the longest, uh, the oldest bicycle event in the world. So it's really uh, the pinnacle for randonneuring and brevet. So what you have to do is every I think four years, and you have to qualify for it. So first you do a pre-registration. If you do like a thousand kilometers of a thousand two hundred kilometers, you can qualify for the first group. So there's different starting groups, and then uh, to have better chances, uh, you can become a super randonneur. So that's completing a brevet series of different distances, so 200, 300, etc. And then uh, you can register for the event. Is what is the advantage with starting with the with the front group? Well, in brevets, there's no winner, but there's always a bit of competition in okay. the in the low brevets. Let's say this is kind of the pinnacle uh, of randonneries, so it's good to start in the in the first group if you want to go like fast. And uh, yeah, there's always a small element of competition, even if there's no winner. 
And then, uh, of course, and then is the is the race style of brevets similar to um, these like longer, um, uh, like like the trans trans uh, Transiberica, where you have a, a checkpoint or a um, a location that you need to get to in using any route. Yes, so brevets also have checkpoint. Normally you have the brevet card that is stamped at every checkpoint and that's your rite of passage that proves that you were there. So in the case of the ultra races, they have checkpoint, but they track it with a tracker, a GPX tracker, so people can know if you went to the checkpoints. In some of the races, they also ask you to stamp a card. I love it. I love it. It's it's interesting that... Um... You know, you've kind of been bitten by the, I don't know, the cycling bug, if you will, and really jumped into the jumped into the deep deep end. And then, it, so it sounds like too, you've got um, longer races upcoming this year. And then, um, w w do you have any sort of like dream rides down the down the future that you would like to do? Yes, indeed. I'm hoping uh, if I have enough time one day to do the Carretera Austral like going from Patagonia to up to Chile and Argentina. That's kind of one of my bucket list bikepacking trips and also going to Japan. I really want to explore Japan. I It's interesting. I've it, As of late, it seems like um, more and more people want to go to Japan, um, that the maybe the cycling community is starting to emerge there. Yes, indeed. And uh, for what I've seen, there's so many amazing uh, roads and also trails and gravel. So I think it's really picking up there and the culture, uh, the food. So it's something I always wanted to see and experience. Uh, so what a better way than cycling. For me, there's no better way than traveling by bike. Now, um, the Patagonia trip that you talked about, that seems like it would be a pretty remote and rugged adventure. Um, is that the case or is there frequent towns along the way as well? I think it's uh, quite remote in some areas, so it would be really challenging to manage supplies, also water, etc. But I think uh, it adds to the experience. You feel like you're, you know, exploring something new. Now, as you kind of go through these adventures, it it is interesting to to see i guess uh, i guess too um just because i come from such uh like a outdoors camping hiking background um in, in your cases are you virtually every night is ultimately spent in a hotel or or some sort of you have a roof over your head at the end of the day um is that correct and is that kind of always your intention Yes, yeah, so in some races I tried to sleep outside, but I didn't manage. <laughs> okay. Just sleeping on a bench didn't work, so I think I have to work on my sleeping outside setup <laughs> for the next events. But uh, yeah, I was a bit tired, so knowing that you will arrive to a hotel or a place that you have a roof uh, over your head and you could take a warm shower definitely helps for motivation. Right, right. It's got it's got a lot of advantages, right? Less gear that you have to bring, um, you know, no tent, no sleeping bag or bivy sack. Um, and and like you said, I I always feel like I sleep better um, uh, and and stay drier too. 
in a with a in a hotel or something with a roof over your head. On the Patagonia trip, is that is that the same case, or would you need to bring um, like a sleeping bag and and a tent? Yeah, so I want to start doing more camping. So I'm planning to get a sleeping setup. And for Patagonia, definitely I will try to sleep outside. So just getting some very lightweight camping (laughs) setup. Sure, sure. Uh, I just, I... I I recently got to talk to a few um a few cyclists who completed the Atlas Mountain uh race and it's interesting hearing them talk. I guess I'm assuming that they're that they're bringing kind of like a a tent and more more like whole like a whole sleep setup, but I feel like I guess you can get away with pretty little in the night if you're motivated or perhaps tired enough um, as if the as the case may be. Yes, indeed. Uh, you will be surprised the places where people manage to sleep. <laughs> I bet. I bet so. Um, wow. Okay. I feel like we've covered quite a bit pretty fast. Um, are, do Do you have any topics that that you feel like I haven't talked talked about that you're that you really really want to bring up? No, I think uh, we covered a lot of topics, but uh, I just wanted to say, like, uh, it makes me really happy to share the journey and to encourage people to try this kind of event. Sometimes it seems crazy to go into ultra cycling or doing this kind of long rides, but uh, just people to know, like, uh, you don't have to be a pro cyclist or you don't have to be like uh, 10 years into cycling, you can just try it out. And uh, it's a really enjoyable experience. Great words, wise words as well. Um, Sherry, it's incredible watching you on your YouTube channel kind of do these huge objectives as well as um, at the same time start a company. I know firsthand um you know kind of how difficult how difficult that can be so uh you're a huge inspiration to me uh thank you for thank you for coming on the podcast thank you so much for having me here